Hello, everyone. We are very excited to have Louise Von Gerichten Ulukaya, founder of sustainable children's wear brand Moncur, on our show today. Before launching Moncur in January 2021, Louise worked with her father, Chef Jean Georges, at his restaurants Mercer Kitchen and Chef's Club. Louise married Hamdi Ulukaya in 2018. He is the founder of Chobani. I have Chobani in my fridge at this moment as we speak. <laughs> and they welcomed their first son, Mirren, last later that year. After his birth, Louise decided to create a brand that cares for the environment, respects the people making it, and that looks and feels good while being accessible for all. Their motto is kids' clothing that lasts, so the planet does too. Louise, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Alisa, and hi, Delia. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. And congratulations on your new daughter. That's so exciting. Thank you. Yes, she's so the sweetest. She's seven weeks now and uh, just having beautiful moments and and having both kids and my stepson all together. So it's uh, it's been mm-hmm. a blessing. It's been a blessing. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I know y'all's Thanksgiving post was so adorable. Will you tell us, talk to us about what led you to start Malker? Yes. So, so it really started um, after my son Miran was born in 2018. Um, and I was really struggling to find babies and children's clothes that were sustainable, uh, but that did not compromise on style and comfort. And, and for me as a new mom, that was something very, you know, very important. I think all the moms out there, uh, when you have your first child, especially you're looking for mm. clothes that are very comfortable, but obviously that looks cute. And, um, and, you know, I, I've been living pretty much all my life and the way I've been raised was really under uh, being very conscious about the environment. Um, so the way we, we, we live in our home on a daily basis is really being careful about how we consume food, how we consume um, everything, you know, how we shower and all, all, the, all the aspects of life are very much into sustainability for us. And so when I was shopping around, I didn't find any brand that was truly sustainable. You could find organic brand, uh, which to some extent uh, means sustainability, but it's still very limited. So I decided to look into how can we make clothes that are cute, comfortable, and 100% sustainable and good for the environment. And so uh, back in 2018, I started looking at partners in Europe, factories that could help me uh, source material made from recycled plastic bottle, uh, using cotton scrap uh, to make new clothes from it. Uh, And this is when the journey started really is from um, the love of my son and really trying to find the best, uh, the best uh, uh, clothes for him. That's, uh, that's how I started back, back in 2018 through the sustainable material uh, that, that we're using includes, like I mentioned, organic cotton fiber, recycled plastic bottle, we really try to basically um, use all the material out there and trying to give it a second life. Um, and kids are my biggest inspiration. So that combination led to uh, to the birth of Moncoeur in January of this year. Wow, I didn't realize it was so new. That's really, really exciting. I'm fascinated by what you said about the organic brands and how that's that's a start, but you took it further. 
So that to me sort of sets you apart from most other children brands. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and about those fabrics? Definitely. Um, so all of our clothes are made from 100% cotton, recycled cotton. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is that, uh, and I didn't know back in 2018 when I started because I'm absolutely not from the fashion industry. So I had to really educate myself on, on that. And the process is that um, you basically capture all the cotton scraps that is normally going to the landfill or going to waste. Wow. And we take them, put them back into original fiber that looks like really like almost like a dust. Ooh. And then we put it back into the loop. It's a you know big machine that puts it back into the loop of the yarn making. And then you end up with those big rolls of fabric. Uh, so it's really not just using the cotton the way it is. And, you know, you can think of upcycle cotton or recycle cotton as something that is, Oh, is it going to be dirty? Am I going to put something dirty on my, on my kids uh, skin? But absolutely not. We, we work that cotton. We just don't make it from scratch and use, you know, tons of water and and energy to make it because it's already created. We just give it a second life from, from that, uh, from that nature. How nice. So fascinating because when you were saying cotton scraps, you know, I was picturing sort of like patchwork, you know, clothes made from dead stock or something. But I would that would be really cool to see that process of how the cotton gets remade, recycled. That's really fascinating. Yeah, and and really like when you you know visit, and I had the chance to visit the factory that we work with in in Europe in Italy. And um, those big machines, which are laser cut machine, you know, they cut, they cut the shape of, let's say, a T-shirt. And what's not being used really falls down into like a big bin and that goes straight to garbage. And, uh, and it's so much waste uh, every year in the fashion industry, unfortunately, of raw material that is, you know, just beautiful and used. And we can just by, you know, putting a little bit more effort in capturing all those fabric in, in making something beautiful out of it. So it's really not a patchwork. It's really getting it back to a, uh, to a fiber that anybody can use to make any beautiful piece of clothing for kids, for women's wear, for men's wear. And it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating to see what we can do. It's so fascinating. It kind of reminds me of like, if you're making Christmas cookies, you know, and you, put the little mold down and then all that extra dough, you know, you can either discard it or you you sort of repurpose it, roll it back out and use it. You know, you keep using it until all the dough, you don't waste the dough that, that just kind of came to my mind when you were saying all that. That's so, that's such a right analogy. Yes, completely. And the same with um, plastic bottle, when you think about it, you know, uh, a plastic bottle can become a zipper on a coat uh, or on a puff jacket, which we've been uh, doing for puff jacket for this fall winter season. Mm-hmm. We use post-consumer plastic bottle and that becomes a zipper or it becomes an embroidery. And it's pretty fascinating that, you know, when you think about it from going from that stage of a plastic and to a mm-hmm. piece of fabric. Oh, it's wonderful. It's just yeah. very exciting. I have seen puffer jackets. I'm glad y'all are doing it. It seems like the cropped puffer jacket is like one of the key items of this season. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Very much so. 
I would think it would be really nice for mothers with Moncur. It's a trusted brand. They know whatever they're going to buy from you. It's sustainable, all of that. Mom, do you want to talk about your experience getting clothes for me? I'm sure you wish you had Moncur. Right. That's what I was saying earlier. Yeah, it was, you know, there were such um, very few brands and a lot of times in smaller communities anyway, for sure, we had these things. We had little trunk shows where you would, you know, you would come and they would show you what they had and you would say, I'd like this look, but I'd like it in blue. And, you know, a lot of times the mothers would order the same, you know, the mother and daughter would be wearing the same thing. But Delia was um, a big tomboy. She didn't want to have anything to do with matching dresses or anything like that. She certainly grew out of that. But when she was young, she wanted to be in her little red cowboy boots playing in the dirt, which was very different than what I was used to. But anyway, yeah, there weren't many brands at all. And like I said, you just didn't even consider what the fabric was. You considered whether it was soft or not. That makes so much sense, Louise, that obviously if you create something and you run around, it's, you know, saying it's, it's completely sustainable, you know, but as a, especially as a first time mom, it's like, it has to be so soft if it's going to touch your baby's skin and, you know, and then of course you want it cute because you want everybody to see how cute your baby is, <laughs> you know, that first baby. So um, you, you figured out a way to do all, all three of those things, which is great. Yes. And, and you're so, so, so right. It's, uh, it's doing things, you know, the right way in, in regards to the planet is one thing, but absolutely not compromising on, on comfort. Uh, and I've, I've seen it again with my, my daughter at seven weeks. There's no way I would put something that is not, you know, the softest possible, especially the first few months. It's so, uh, it's so important for, for moms. So that, that was one of the biggest, I would say, not challenge, but at the same time opportunity in trying to, to have that perfect combination of sustainability, comfort, and, uh, and style. And that's why it took us quite some time in trying to really master, I would say, that uh, equation. And uh, it took us time to, to do it because with a recycle and upcycle material, you do face quite a bit of limitation. And you have to sample a lot in order to get to the to the perfect product. Um, it's not the easiest way, I would say it. And this is why I think a lot of companies, whether it's you know for kids' wear or for women's wear, men's wear, are going slowly into it because of all those challenges. They want to make sure that people feel good wearing it. And sustainability can can be very much of a thing and become so important, but only if you make sure that you maintain that comfort and that. And that the style is there because everybody wants to look good and feel good, I guess. That's right. And, you know, the idea of it is lovely. And of course, everyone's like, oh, yes, we want to be sustainable. Of course we do. But when you start looking into it and you realize it's going to be more expensive, it's going to take more time. Yeah. It's a new industry. New fabrics are coming out all the time. But, you know, you have to kind of make sure you understand what those fabrics are and everything. You know, it's an easy thing to say, but it is extremely complicated. And you're on the forefront of something that is just now really opening up. You know, people will be looking to you and to the fabrics that you have chosen, you know, as examples when they are considering things. So I think that's wonderful. That's right. Thank you. And one of my favorite things is that the children, they're going to get to experience sustainability 
from birth <laughs> and take part in it. And it can be this educational opportunity. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. And they are definitely, I mean, you're so right. They are the, I mean, biggest ambassador, I think of, you know, better future and a greener future. And what I've been experiencing since we launched in January is that, for example, we had one of our t-shirts in spring summer collection that had a 10 and a little plastic bottle and then a little very cute message that said this t-shirt was made with 10 recycled plastic bottle, like in a very funky, fun, like very, very cute way. And all the kids that um, I know around were wearing it. We're so proud because, you know, I was obviously telling them the story and how that T-shirt was actually made with 10 recycled plastic bottles. And they were just so proud about how they are helping the environment or how, you know, they are playing a big part in it. And that really starts at the age of around five, six years old, not really younger than that. But the kids are very much into that progressive movement. And also because obviously school are talking about it and books are, you know, there is a lot of cartoons also involving sustainability. And I see my son watching Peppa Pig and they talk about, you know, how it's good to, uh, you know, when you brush your teeth, you have to, you know, stop running the water or when you take a shower, it's better to take a shower than a bath. So this is like going into their head on a daily basis. And so having in parallel a kid's brand like, like, like ours that is sustainable and telling them that they are helping the planet by wearing it or by, you know, having their parents making that purchasing decision rather than buying another t-shirt that is actually made and using new cotton fiber. Um, they're very, very proud. And it's so nice to see that. Um, and it really makes my, my heart, you know, feel really good because uh, we make the clothes for the kids and the response has been so positive and beautiful. I love that so much. I was a kindergarten teacher many years ago for, oh. for a while. That was my first career. And um, I'm picturing a little boy walking in and it's, you know, it's show and tell day. And he is going to stand up and his show and tell is going to be his shirt that says that. And then the teacher would decide that she's going to do a whole a lesson plan around sustainability and following that shirt from how the fabric came to be all the way to him wearing it. And then the others go home and they tell their parents, you know, Joey was wearing a, t a shirt that was made from 10 plastic bottles, you know, and then they start talking about it and it just really creates this sort of movement. And it really does bring in the science. It's like, I, I can just imagine these little kids trying to figure out, you know, no, it's not. That shirt is not made from plastic bottles. Yes, it really is. And then when they find out how, you know, then they're going to be spreading the news. So I just think it's fabulous, Louise. I really do. Thank you. You're so right. That I definitely biggest, biggest ambassador of, 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 I think, and they're going to do a lot uh, in, in the future. And I know, you know, for instance, we are organizing and we did already uh, back in September um, in association with um, a nonprofit called Five Year. We call it Clean Blitz, where, you know, we gather a community of parents and kids to clean up beaches or to clean up a park uh, from all the, those plastic bottles. And really the kids are the number one in the front line, like walking so proud with their plastic bag and gathering all those bottles, all those 
uh, ways on, on the coast and on the, the park. And it's just so nice to see that they are so excited about it. That really is great because as children, they're so earnest. And so they go and do that several times. And then every every beach trip after, whenever they see a plastic bottle, they're going to be really angry and they're going to want to do something about it in a bigger way as they grow up. So um, you really are planting seeds there in a myriad of ways. So kudos to you. Thank you, Alison. So let's talk about your design process. What inspires you? How far in advance do you have to start? Yes. So really what inspires me is the natural environment. So our first collection was earth loving as a general theme. Uh, And this is really the way we like to express our brand is by calling it the earth loving uh, brand, earth loving clothing, because we sometimes do not like to use the word uh, too much recycled and because it has a lot of second meaning, I would say, or meaning that, you know, a little too rough when it we talk about a kid's brand. Uh, so the theme was earth loving. So all the theme was around um, nature and animals and all the beautiful places when you think of nature that we want to protect the sea, the mountain, the trees. Um, yes, the animals. Uh, so we include a lot of different prints and patterns expressing those different elements and natural elements. We use some messaging in the in the clothes, but done in again in a very funny or funky way or colorful, playful way. Um, I work with the design team because I'm not from a design or fashion industry myself, but I'm the one who uh, directs and I'm the creative director behind all the collection. And we work really a, he- a year ahead of time. So that's something that when I started, it was ex- extremely surprising for me because I come from a hospitality background where everything is, you know, living in the present and you, you do forecast thing, but you don't really plan too much ahead of time. It's really, you know, the day of the, the night of, and you're right in the moment. So when I started working um, and, and building Mon Coeur and I learned that you actually design the collection a year and a half before, and you actually start selling it and presenting the collection a year before, I had to really change a little bit the way I work in my head um, and, and now it's, it's becoming for me like really a second nature. And right now, for instance, I'm designing spring, summer of 2023. And then you enter into sampling process in a, about a year and a half before. So in January, we will start doing all the sampling and testing. And because of the, uh, sustainable component of our brand, uh, the lead times for fabric are about two times longer than, you know, regular cotton. So that also enter into our whole master calendar where we have to plan things accordingly. And then on top of it, because of the pandemic and the logistical delays in getting product from one place to another. So that even added, you know, another, I would say, two months to everything we do. So yes, I had to learn by you know planning and forecasting things a lot more than I ever did in my life, which has been a, a great uh, learning curve for me. Absolutely. It seems so crazy. It really does. Yeah. But it just sometimes it really does take that time. And I can I think that's so interesting about the fact that working with the tight materials, it's just like eating healthy food. It just takes longer. Yes. You know? Okay. Also, I was curious about 
your the price point because all of this it takes longer it's harder to make these fabrics and everything so i know that's more expensive than the way a lot of people make their clothing so how did you figure out your price point so when i started uh developing monker what i wanted to do is to create that brand having in mind to be as much as possible accessible for everybody uh, I didn't want to make it, you know, a sustainable brand that's just nobody can buy it and the T-shirt is going to cost a hundred bucks and it's just going to be crazy. Um, so I had to really do a lot of outreach to so many factories and really talking about my vision and hoping that those factories will become my long-term partner, will believe in the project, will believe in the vision and and help us in regards to price point and pricing because the way we're making our clothes, if I would have to sell it um, the way the original product price would be, it would just not make any sense. And I think nobody would ever buy it. So I really had to convince all our partners and all the the, the companies that we work with in in trying to give us as much of a price breakdown as much as possible. And really the response has been so positive that uh, we were able to really get um, really good price point on all the materials that we're using. Still, there is a premium, just like you said, when you buy organic blueberries, it's going to cost more than if you buy regular blueberries. Right. So we are really trying to follow that logic. And so I would say that, you know, our price point is very reasonable we are anywhere from, you know, the bodysuit, which would be our entry price point, is going to be around just under thirty dollars, wow. uh, which is really, really accessible. Uh, when you think about other sustainable brands that are really not as sustainable as you might think they are, so so that's what we really try to do is to to place ourselves within within that um, idea in mind that we want to be accessible sustainable but accessible and that's been very important that that's what i really want to continue that um, because i want to make sure that everybody can afford to buy you know a, a piece of our our collection and and try it and feel it and mm-hmm. and and see that you know the, it, it is quality and on top of being sustainable in the way of we making the clothes it's sustainable in the way that you can keep that piece of clothes for forever, literally. We did so much testing and certification. And, and that piece of clothes that you'll buy at Moncoeur, you can give it to friends, you can give it to siblings, and you can wash it a thousand times. It will not move. Mm-hmm. That is remarkable. And that is a wonderful philosophy. And also what I tell my clients all the time and what we talk to our community about is you know, being more thoughtful about the things that you purchase. And even if it is for a baby, it doesn't have to mean you're just going to, you know, have it for a little while and then just throw it away. I mean, some of my, the other day when I was moving up here, I was going through some of my old boxes and things, and I was going through the clothes from when Delia was a little girl, the ones I had saved. And every single one of them, I could picture exactly where she was when she was wearing it. And it made me so happy and I'm going to, you know, have it there. And then when she has a little girl or if we have a niece or whoever, you know, that will be passed down. And that's the kind of thing you're talking about. The things that when you bring them back out years later, you still treasure them, you know, have, 
have everything that you bring into your home should be something thoughtfully purchased, we believe, and something that, you know, really does evoke some kind of emotion or pride. Very much. And I think it's really about that idea of, you know, slow fashion and trying to buy less quantities, but better. And yes, the price point might be a little bit more expensive per piece, but buying less and, and better for sure. And same thing with food, you know, with coffee, with anything, you know, instead of like, how much coffee can I drink, you know, while I'm running around like crazy, you know, what, you know, have you ever considered just sitting down and having the perfect cup of coffee and how much more fulfilling that is, even though it was more expensive, you know, or like you said, the organic blueberries are, you know, the time it takes time is, is money too. So I think, you know, we can slow down a little bit and really enjoy a little bit of joie de vivre, it would, it would be uh, soul healing for a lot of us. So very much. And I think consumers are more and more, um, they want to be informed about what they are buying. Um, mm-hmm. and yesterday we had um, a holiday uh, Monker event with um, different uh, ladies in the industry, in the fashion industry. And we had a great conversation about, consumer being really interested in getting more information about how products are made and what they're actually consuming or wearing and how it is important now more than ever. People take more time in reading about things online uh, and getting educated about uh, supply chains and, and so on. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's something that has been happening over the past few years, but it's been increasingly also since pandemic. There's been even more of a shift I've seen it also with Mon Coeur. Um, It's been like for us, despite, you know, having challenges developing a brand in the pandemic, in the middle of the pandemic, it's been great because people have taken more time in, in learning, pausing and learning about, okay, what am I consuming? How am I living? What, I'm, what clothes I'm, do I really want to buy? Am I making the right decision here? Uh, so so there's been definitely more of a shift over the past, uh, past year and a half, two years, I would say. This morning I was reading Women's Wear Daily and they Moda Operandi was talking about their customer and their purchasing habits. And they've noticed that their average unit order has gone up. So their consumers are purchasing investment pieces and have definitely bought into the whole buy less, buy better. So that is very exciting. And then when you were talking about the lead times, it reminded me we were on a a webinar in the early pandemic Vogue had put on and Stella McCartney was talking about how at that time she wasn't totally affected by the whole shutdown because their lead times and they develop and work on fabrics, creating fabrics so far in advance that it really had not affected them. So Since our world changes truly daily, the zeitgeist and how everyone's feeling, the morale, how do you know what someone is going to want in 2023? And you're asking in regards to sustainable or in regards to more design? Yes, going back to the design, how you are already working on spring, summer 2023. Yes, so for... You know, when I designed the collection, uh, I really do not follow trend. And I think, you know, that's something that's because our audience is obviously parents and, and kids. Uh, it's a little bit different than if you would 
work with women's wear or men's wear where there's more of a very specific trend uh, system. So for us, it's more of a, our trend is more in regards to sustainability and technology. And what I'm looking at is mostly dictated by, by those components. So the different technologies uh, available or that is going to be developed in the next year or two. For instance, the puff jacket that we launched this fall winter is made with a technology called Thermor. Uh, and it's a company that launched uh, that insulation, thermal insulation made from recycled plastic bottle uh, about two years ago. And that's something that I learned when I launched, when I started to work on, on Moncoeur three years ago. So so the way I'm working is more so about, okay, what are the technology? I know I want to make and create a puff jacket. What are the sustainable technology available or that are going to be available in a year or two from now. And then I start my design process based on those technology uh, because I want to be really ahead of, of, you know, the time and I want to be ahead of the curve in regards to sustainability and really offer the best component for uh, the kids and the consumer. And then I go into the design phase of color palette and, and that's really my own inspiration that, that goes into, uh, into that blend. Um, and that's the kind of the good things about working with in the kids industry and in kids, kids wear is that it's not so much about, okay, is it going to be all about red this year or about, you know, brown, or is it going to be dress or shorts? For the kids, it's a little bit more of a, a flexible, more coming from what you as a designer and as a brand want to uh, to offer. I love that. Sustainability can mean many different things, and it can also be very overwhelming, but we are really happy to hear that not only is your brand sustainable in the fabrics that you use and the practices, but also the human factor of treating your the people who make the clothes well. Are there any tips that you have for how we could be more sustainable in our everyday lives? Yes, definitely. And that really comes, what comes to my mind first is um, the kids uh, and things that I love to do with my kids at home are things that are very easy to do on a daily basis, such as composting, which, you know, is fun for them to do, um, learning about what can be uh, composted. And so we have in our little terrace, but you can even do it indoor, obviously. Uh, we have like a little compost box where all the peeling of uh, fruits and vegetables, the eggshell, like the kids, they bring them and they are so excited about discovering, okay, is this going to be able to go in that box or if is it not going to be able to be uh, going to that box? So every time they eat like a banana or something, have them really involved in, in composting things is great. Uh, other things that we do at home is trying to really recycle things. So when we get boxes and we all do get boxes from deliveries, trying to make, you know, a space shift out of it, or, and we've done that a lot during the pandemic as we were all stuck in home and trying to create new and fun ways for them to get into entertain. Um, so that's a great way to, you know, instead of putting it in the garbage to give a second life to a box Things that I mentioned before that are very important is for them also just to 
be very aware of not wasting water and really trying to shower versus taking bath and and the kids as early as they could we've been giving them shower and they're super excited about it and really trying to educate them about why it's better than to waste too much water same with brushing the teeth and not using too much water um, so those are really the, the very easy things to incorporate, I would say, with the kids um, on a daily basis. And other things that we love to do and that I've been you know, doing myself since I was a very little girl, and I think that's why I've been so involved in sustainability as long as I can remember, is really being in touch with nature. And that's something that when you live in a city like New York, it can be hard. But as much opportunity as I think kids have to just put their hands into the dirt and plant fruits and dig potatoes. I know that's something that we do so often with our kids. And right now the season just ended, but between like August, September, October, we have so many potatoes upstate and the kids just love digging and being in touch with nature and understanding that this is what's beautiful and we need to protect it. And and I think that's something great to do in families and and for kids just to learn about um, about nature and they, they're going to grow up loving it and, and, and really having that desire to protect it. I'm picturing you all out digging up potatoes and how much fun that would be in the fall. I can just picture the kids having so much fun doing that. A lot of times fashion is dictated by the textile industry. So the way the designers start, you know, from the very beginning is they go and see what are the new textiles that are becoming coming down the pipe in the next season and seasons. And that's, they kind of design their collections around that. And so for you, it's a little bit different, but it's kind of the same in that which fabrics are coming up and how they might, you know, be incorporated into what you are designing. So you're, you're basing yours on the sustainability fabric. What are the new fabrics that are coming out? And I know that's so fascinating because things, every time we talk to anybody that's um, doing things with sustainability, they're talking about the amazing fabrics that are, and materials that are just, you know, coming up and coming down the line soon. So it's really all remarkable and I was wondering about what you had heard that's coming next. Like, what are some of the new sustainable fabrics that are in the beginning stages of production now? Yes. So one of the new inspiration and the new feature that we're going to actually launch for our next spring-summer collection is um, swimwear collection. It's going to be our first swimwear collection, and it's going to be made entirely from recycled fishnets. And that's something that has been, you know, for the past two, three years being developed uh, more and more. Mm -hmm. But it was limited because for the kids, you know, you want to have a, a UV protection, which was not possible until now. Mm -hmm. And something recently happened in regards to combination of SPF protection and recycled fishnet. So we were able to finally launch it. So that's going to happen for our wow. next collection, which is really exciting because you do, you know, parents will not again compromise on not protecting their kids from the sun. Mm -hmm. That means being sustainable. So that's something that has been possible and made possible very recently. So I'm very excited about this new, um, this new discovery. The other uh, thing that we're going to be uh, launching for our next fall winter collection is going to be working with fruit skin. 
um, with pineapple skin. Uh, we are able to make leather out of pineapple uh, skin. So that's going to be for wow. the older kids. We're planning to make a leather jacket made from fruit skin. Mm. Uh, so that's an exciting um, one. And the leather, literally, I'm, I'm a big fan of leather and I use vegan leather mm-hmm. uh, myself. And uh, sometimes, you know, you can see that there is a huge difference between a beautiful mm-hmm. animal leather versus an, a vegan leather. But the pineapple leather is literally, you cannot tell the difference. It looks wow. the same. It's beautiful. Um, it smells actually beautiful. It doesn't smell pineapple, but it has a beautiful smell to it. Beautiful texture. Uh, very easy to maintain as well. And so that's going to be happening for our next fall winter collection, uh, making those really fun leather jackets for kids. Oh, that is so cute. It's so cute that the fishnets are going to turn into bathing suits. That's just adorable for kids to think about, you know. And then I remember when Delia and I were in Italy a couple of years ago in Milan, and we went to an exhibit during Fashion Week, and they were talking about mushrooms being used for leather. Yes, that's, that's, that's right. Uh, mushroom has been used a lot. And I think right. one of the famous, uh, I think it's Hermes that is actually uh, mm-hmm. uh, launched uh, mm-hmm. a bag made from mushroom. Right. And that was, oh gosh, that was at least, you know, that was when it was still unusual. You know, I think now the pre- so it's just interesting. A few years ago, it was mushrooms and now it's pineapples, fruit skins. And that's right up your alley to your family, you know, being in the food business. So that's a delightful um, thing as well. (laughs) Yes. It all comes together. (laughs) That's right. That's right. As my dad would say, it all comes back to the food. food. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. You created the Food Dreams Foundation when you were working with your father. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Which kept a fit always because I love food and I love the industry. And that helped me to keep a foot in the food industry, which is amazing. And that was back in 2016 that we started it. Um, I just sold my restaurant, uh, Chef's Club, um, as I was, you know, getting married and planning to have kids and working in the food industry is just very challenging when you start having a family because mm-hmm. you have to be there, you know, it's a 24 oh. seven and you have to be there physically in person right. uh, all the time to, to, to keep the ship tight, I would say. Right. So I decided to sell, to sell a chef's club, which was a, a restaurant that I opened four years pr- prior to that. And the food dreams foundation is really helping underprivileged students to access to culinary school. Uh, But not only, we also provide um, mentorship program and we provide job opportunities. So um, I was very lucky to be able to do that with both my father and my brother. And so far, we've been very successful in in helping more than now we have about 100 students. And since we launched the foundation in about four different countries, so we partner with different culinary schools. So we have a partnership in culinary school here in, in New York, in America. We have a partnership in um, Indonesia, in Greece, in India, in France. Wow. And we created those campuses where underprivileged students go to school. So they get a degree. On average, the degree takes about two years. Mm-hmm. And then they have a mentorship program after they graduate, which allows them to have a mentor in one of the restaurants that 
my family owns worldwide. So we have so, uh, about 60 restaurants now. So they pick a restaurant that they would like to work and they have a mentor that's really going to follow that student and really help him or her to uh, gravitate towards what they want to achieve. So some students, they want to learn more about farm to table or they want to learn more about pastries and baking. So really depending on what they are attracted to, the program is going to be tailored for that specific request and that dream. That's why we call it food dreams. And after they finish that mentorship program, they have a guaranteed job to any of the property within the Jean-Georges mm -hmm. uh, restaurant business worldwide. And so it's a really 365 program. It's not only just like a financial mm -hmm. help, it's mm -hmm. more than that. And I think most of the students are really uh, attracted by that mentorship program, which allows them mm -hmm. to, you know, get better at what they want to do. Basically. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's been so beautiful to see. For them, it's been really a life-changing Mm. step in the direction of being mm -hmm. a chef it's been five years now so we had so many students graduating and now some of them are executive chef in hong kong in singapore mm. and and it's beautiful because it's a small community that we created and mm -hmm. we're in touch with every student and uh, sometimes we uh, also meet for around a nice meal and they mm -hmm. tell us about their, their experience. So it's been, it's been really beautiful to see mm -hmm. how life-changing has been for, for those students. That is wonderful. And you're also training chefs the way you would hope to have them in your kitchen. So you're, it's like a breeding ground for future help for the business as well. I just love that. Yeah. Very, I applaud you on that. That's brilliant. And really some students, a lot of times they do want to stay within the company once they graduate and they finish the program. Uh, but a lot of students, they just go on their own. Some did open the restaurants. We have mm -hmm. one or two students that already opened their own restaurants uh, and other students that just go on and fly on their own and mm -hmm. go to work for other chefs as well. So they're really mm -hmm. not tied with us if they do not want to. Oh, sure, sure, have, sure. But they completely have the opportunity to also stay within the company, which right. is beautiful. It's been amazing. It's been mm. literally amazing to uh, to do that also for us as a family. Oh, yes. Oh, it's just great. And does Malkar give back? We do. Um, we partner with One Person for the Planet since uh, the first day we launched. And so for every product sold, 1% has been giving to the restoration of the natural environment. And we also partner with 5 Year, which I mentioned before, which is... Um, a nonprofit organization that helps organizing cleaning days movement on beach, coast, parks. Uh, and so we've been organizing community events with them. We also develop our own program called the New Again program. And that allows consumers to send us used clothes uh, for both babies and kids. And in exchange, as an incentive, consumer get a discount on their next purchase. And it really helps to close the loop in getting and upcycling and downcycling those clothes so they're not going to landfill also. So it's been very popular since we launched in September because as we all know, as moms, a lot of times we do not know what to do with clothes that kids grow out of it. And sometimes they have stain or they have holes and you don't want to give it to a friend or to a siblings. So now there is an opportunity to send those clothes to us and we are making something out of it 
So that has been extremely, extremely, extremely popular mm-hmm. since September. That's wonderful. That's so true because you are talking about babies and kids. So <laughs> there are going to be stains and spills and sniffles and, and everything else. So that's wonderful. Um, getting um, too tight. I see it with my daughter. She's seven two- weeks. Oh yeah. my goodness. Like so all fast. the clothes are out already. And Yes. They grow and, uh, so it goes too fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. All right. Well, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our podcast and we always ask our guests if they have any tips. And I bet that you probably got some great tips from your husband and your father when you were thinking about starting this business. I know, but the chef's club was such a great concept too. So you had already run a business before this, but this is, you know, slightly different, obviously being um, in, the, you know, turning from food to clothing. So do you have any tips to share with our listeners? Yes, I would say that for me, what has been extremely helpful to learn from, you know, both my husband and from my, my father being an entrepreneur as well, is that um, you have to be flexible while still being very strongly headed with your ideas. So, and that means that having an idea of creating Mon Coeur and the DNA that goes with it by being sustainable, um, I would not want to get away from it. So that's my main vision. And I have, you know, a goal and it's to make that brand true to its DNA. But flexibility has been very important because sometimes you cannot do everything the way you want it to do or these many roads that leads to that goal of making a truly sustainable clothing brand. Mm -hmm. I think being flexible while still being very strongly headed with your ideas is extremely, extremely, extremely Mm -hmm. uh, in for Mm -hmm. me important Mm -hmm. because you can drive yourself crazy. If you think you only have one way in reaching your, your goal and that just doesn't work that way. And we've seen it with the pandemic I had to be extremely flexible. I had to be extremely patient. And it took me three years to get to the point I wanted to get. It was probably not from the original idea I had in regards to, okay, I'm going to make the clothes this way. I had to go into so many different directions before I reached my goal. That's the number one, I would say, advice. And never give up because Mm -hmm. every idea can lead to something great. I love that advice. I think that's really helpful. You definitely have to stay true to your original plan. You can't just veer too far to the left or the right. Yeah. You have to keep that guiding light. But also, if you are too stubborn or too stuck in your ways, you're going to miss out. You're going to, you know, it's, you learn so much. I was reading something yesterday where they said, you learn nothing from success, you learn everything from you know, failures or mistakes. So being open and being humble enough when someone like your husband (laughs) points out something that maybe you should be doing in a different way to be able to say, okay, I hear you. Um, Completely. It's it's hard, but. Oh my God. Yeah. It it is hard uh, because I'm very strongly headed also. So, but it's been so nice to have multiple hundreds conversation with him or even my dad in just getting feedbacks because sometimes you're so into what you're doing and you don't see the bigger picture or you don't take a step back. So having somebody close to, but not too close to give you mm-hmm. advice 
mm-hmm. uh, and, and mm-hmm. just give you a different perspective has been very helpful. Yeah. I would say the second thing that I've also listened and that has been for me so far very rewarding is that very important to surround yourself with the right people because really you cannot do and you cannot be an expert in every single thing. You can be a great leader and having that great idea and knowing how to get to the to the goal. But then along the way, you, there's no way you can be good as much on the marketing, on the finance, on product development, on production, on design. There's just no way because we're just not, um, you know, genius, I guess. I mean, I don't know who can <laughs> in all those, every single aspect of, of right. a new business. So surrounding yourself with very good people in every of those departments is very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been very helpful for me. We're a very small team, but everybody that is on their own department mm-hmm. is expert and mm-hmm. very passionate about what they do. And that has been very, very helpful in, in leading to our success. It's kind of like, remember what it was like when you had your first child and your, your little boy was the baby and all these other people wanted to give you advice about how you were supposed to hold the baby or feed the baby or you know, when he was supposed to be walking or all these kinds of things. And it was very hard. You didn't want other people telling you how to take care of your own baby, but sometimes they knew what they were talking about, you know, and you learned a lot from people who had been there before, or, you know, obviously from the doctors who did that. That's what they know about there. You know, that's their field. And so surrounding yourself with people that can help you is, and being able to listen to them and trust them is imperative. Very much so. It's not always easy to take advice for sure. And you're so right, Alison, like when it comes to baby, I remember what you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. When I had my first son, like I was almost like getting upset, like getting advice from her on how to take right. care of my baby. But then like looking back, I'm like, yeah, she was so right. And it would have saved me time or I would have maybe right. had less sleepless night or, you know, just make things a lot easier. But it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's a push and pull thing. You need your mother there. And then you also want to prove to her that you can do this by yourself. So it is a back and forth thing, but it is a wonderful gift to be able to have three generations in a family. It's really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have such a wonderful mission to tap back into. It's amazing to me that so many brands start without a mission. They just say, oh, I want to have a jewelry brand and they start their brand, but they don't have that North Star that they always need to tap back into. So congratulations on that. And it's such an important mission for sure and much needed. We also love Jean-Georges. We were telling you a little bit in the beginning when we were chatting, I'm a vegetarian. And so One, we know that we are always going to go to any restaurant in the world and be very much taken care of. And no one is going to accidentally put shrimp or something. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is so delicious. It's such a thoughtful presentation. It's just the most delectable and fabulous experience. So everyone immediately must go to some Jean-Georges restaurant, get some Chobani in your fridge and all (laughs) Louise, what yes. next for you and Malker? Well, we are about to launch our spring and summer 22 collection in late January. 
which pulls inspiration from preserving our oceans and feature a new and light colorful palette uh, with brand new styles, such as, as I mentioned before, the swimwear collection, which is made from recycled fishnets. So we are super excited and preparing for this new collection coming up. We are also expanding uh, internationally. Uh, so we are going into about 15 different countries, a lot of countries in Asia, in Europe and Middle East. So we're really expanding uh, for a third collection, international markets, which is very exciting for us. It's a very different also way of you know thinking of the business and rethinking what we already done for the past year, which means, you know, a new way of distribution and, and all that. So it's been a very exciting and very busy end of the year. Uh, but we look forward to 2022 in being in many, many different places. Uh, we are available, obviously, on our website, which is very important for us, the direct-to-consumer, where we can have um, exclusive style on our website. But we are present in um, so far in about 100 stores in the U.S. We are present in, as you probably know, places such as Maisonette, uh, which is the net apporté for for kids, which has been amazing, mm-hmm. adorable pieces there. Um, and yes, now we're going to be able to offer our product to an international market. So very excited about this expansion. And as always, just going to all the markets that allows us to discover new technologies, new ways of making clothes that are kinder for the earth. So we have uh, the next market in February in Paris, where we'll be present to expose both our collection and be there to look at new technologies for collections, present and future. It's really, really wonderful. Congratulations on the international expansion. I think that's fabulous. And I can't tell you how happy it makes me thinking about that swimwear collection and happy babies and children on the beach running around picking up plastic bottles. (laughs) It's all such a lovely concept. And do you all have a an Instagram? Yes. Our Instagram handle is at shop Moncoeur, And our website is moncoeur.com in everything in word word. Mm-hmm. Yes. And my personal Instagram is at Louise Ulukaya. Wonderful. This has been so informative and so interesting and very much inspiring. Thank you so much, Alison and Dalia. It's been such a pleasure Uh, Thank you so much for creating such an amazing platform uh, that allows brands and entrepreneurs like myself to to express ourselves. It's been really a pleasure. I love, like I said, I'm so close to my own mother and just inspires me to do something with my mom. I love this. This has been such a treat. So thank you so much. Of course. Well, thank you, everyone. Mulker means my heart, which is adorable for the children's brand, the name of the children's brand for those who do not speak French. And we will see you next time on the Style That Binds Us podcast. Thank you for joining in. And thank you, Louise, for coming on. Thank you both. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Finds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month 
for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe. 